Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Hey, this is Allison Kay, and welcome to this episode of Disruptive CEO Nation. Hey, so much is in the news about space lately, and some of you can think that it's just this big game of billionaires and millionaires, but how can just regular businesses or, or regular citizens you know, have access to space? How can we get to be part of the excitement and, and part of the future? And so I'm so excited for our guest today, and he is going to give us insight into the space industry. So I would love to welcome Grant. Grant is going to tell us all about his company and who he is and where he is. And he's actually talking to us from Poland today. So Grant, tell everyone all the good things about you. Uh, first off, thanks for having me. Uh, excited to be here and you know have this chat with you. Um, so once again, I'm Grant Blaisdell. I am CEO and co-founder of Copernic Space. I'm also the co-founder of ventures such as CoinFirm, which is a global leader in big data analytics for cryptocurrencies and blockchain. Uh, but with Copernic Space, it's a platform that's applying blockchain and crypto models to solve what we see as the two biggest needs in this new space economy that's emerging, um, which is one, you have a $500 billion plus market with no actual market. If I asked you what's the central point for you to discover, let alone to acquire what we call space assets, uh, there's no such place. And the other one is, is that the financing and liquidity uh, models for space are equally archaic. So whether you're early stage or even more mature companies like SpaceX, uh, they're generally rele relegated to to two lanes, which is, you know, early stage, especially it's government grants at first, if they're lucky, they get some crazy angel investor VC to allow them to move towards their prototype. But even guys like Musk are still having to sell, um, you know, shares and go through a many months long uh, fundraising process instead of being able to leverage their contracted revenue, like most brick and mortar businesses are able to do for fast liquidity at good terms. So uh, we're providing a central platform built on distributed technology that allows for not only space companies to better transact between themselves, uh, but for the first time ever really open up the space market to the general commercial market, as well as to the average person for them to economically participate and benefit from. So let's talk about first the commercial market. And, and for my listeners, just hold your breath. If Grant used a lot of uh, terms and and things that you're not familiar with, because I promise you, if you hang on with us for the next 20 minutes, it'll make more sense. Um, and so, Grant, when we go to your website, you know, it talks about investing in space. It talks about, um, you know, how we can get involved. So let's talk about it from uh, a business aspect. If um, if somebody in a business says, hey, how can I get involved? Um, give us some like 
practical examples? Yeah, well, I I think, you know, you brought up a, a good point, which needs to be enforced more often in the general market, which you said, you know, everyone thinks it's just Musk and Bezos shooting off their rockets. And that's really true. That's what most people think the space market and economy is. They miss out that there's, you know, hundreds and thousands even really of smaller companies, companies, entrepreneurs, et cetera, that are doing really great work. And people also don't realize that even what we're using right now, you know, the how we're speaking through these computers using this tech, all this stuff starts with space applications initially, right? I have a saying that space tech is the greenest tech, right? Not because itself, the materials that are used are super green, but the applications that can be used on earth are much more effective and can provide actionable results for the benefits of people or the environment on earth, et cetera. So when we talk about the commercial market, you know, this $500 billion market is already is almost exclusively governments and space to space B2B, right? Space companies Mm -hmm. doing together. Uh, but the the big opportunity that's about to explode is, okay, how do we better apply these things to the general commercial market on, on Earth that's outside of space? So we really love uh, satellite data and imagery, um, not only because it's digitally scalable in a, in commercially in a much better way than other things. It's not tied to physical realities or limitations, uh, but because there's a whole plethora of uh, commercial entities that can take advantage of it for their purposes, whether it be hedge funds. Hedge funds love space data. It lets them do certain bets analysis in a way that they're not <laughs> able to. But they don't have an easy interface to engage and acquire that data, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing uh, agriculture companies, right? If you could imagine if agriculture companies could uh, much more effectively uh, predict or receive live uh, weather aspects, then, you know, they can optimize their crop yield, how they're doing certain things and provide, you know, a much more effective agricultural system, you know, for the world. And then, you know, we have a a case that that we really love that you can read about in the media, uh, where we're teaming up with entities in the space economy to provide better satellite data and imagery options for organizations, in this case, Saving the Survivors, which is one of the leading groups in South Africa when it comes to fighting poaching and protecting endangered species, especially rhino. Rhinos are really under attack uh, at the moment. So, you know, our thing is to show in emotionally engaging ways as well, um, you know, take space from being viewed exclusively as this unapproachable you know, it's billionaires and literal rocket scientists stuff and show that, hey, this is actually something that you can reap benefits on the ground for yourself, your enterprise, the world now or, or very soon with what we're doing um, that goes way outside of that spectrum. Right. So when we say the commercial market for this new space economy that's going to it's going to touch almost everybody. Right. Whether they know. Not. And and I think what's important here is you know a lot of times I talk to disruptors and and you're you know what you're talking about here is the the democratization of space and I know that's again big words big terms but you know you can't leave all of this in the hands of the governments 
you can't leave all of this in just the hands of the, the billionaires um, because that also isn't a, you know, monopolies are not healthy competitive markets. So I think this is something that we all need to be concerned about because what if the monopolies to the markets are coming out of certain countries or certain parts of the world that are, are not um, as, as favorable to the overall good of, of things. I want to, I want to pivot just a, a little bit because. Mind if I comment on that real Oh, quick? absolutely. Go ahead, Grant. Um, use the term democratization of space. Uh, I've seen, you know, space companies, you know, use that in a marketing speak uh, a little bit already, which is generally cheap marketing speak to me because in their mind, it's like democratization. Oh, it's not just NASA anymore. It's, you know, some billionaires and millionaires get to shoot stuff up. Right. Uh -huh. It's like that's democratization. The story of Copernic space started with my grandfather, who was one of, if not the first aerospace professors in Poland, but very progressive, kind of capitalistic minded guy. And I have some of his early journals where he starts. So the first writings I know of around democratization of space, right? And what we actually want to represent in that is that truly uh, not just a marketing speak term, but really allow once again for, you know, the average person to become economically involved in space and benefit from it. And the flip side that a lot of people don't see is these space ventures, they need the people just as much as the people need space mm -hmm. because you can take the VCs, you can take the governments, all these, you know, incumbents, et cetera, put them together, focus that money into space. It's not enough to fuel everything that's needed, right? And what's been shown over the past four or five years, whether it be through like initial coin offerings, which we can go down that rabbit hole another time. <laughs> you saw this past year with um, uh, GameStop stock situation, right? If you open up a funnel and you, you provide an emotional incentive and everyone loves space, you know, uh, and you fo focus that, the, the general public will outfinance the largest hedge fund in the world in a day. Right. So we really want to take advantage of that democratization aspect and provide that in a real solution because it benefits both ends of, of the equation. Grant, thank you so much for, for taking a pause and explaining that to us. And I, I've heard you speak before and I hadn't heard the story about your grandfather before. So I appreciate you sharing that with us because usually I do ask us, you know, what's the, the motivation and then behind the mission of their, their company. Um, and is that part of where that motivation came from for you? I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I've been on the ground in the space economy loosely for almost a decade. You know, my mother, Lady Rocket, as she's known as, is a co-founder of Copernic Space. We have the Lady Rocket Foundation, which for years has been building space entrepreneurship and education programs, mainly for underprivileged youth. Um, so, you know, I'm, we're trying to represent, uh, solving problems or needs that we run into, right. Where we're solving something that we needed, right. Like I'm going, you know, I'm going through financing rounds and I run into the same stuff and I'm at a much higher level and understanding generally than the average space entrepreneur who, who are genius people, but they're usually focused on solving very concrete problems. They have very concrete, you know, skills and knowledge. And this kind of alternative world that that matters a lot 
outside of it, you know, is a little harder for them. And I've struggled with it. So I'm solving, you know, not only is it a legacy thing, it's, it's, you know, something that's been building for almost 60 years now within my family. It's something that, you know, I've experienced personally and, and, and am looking to solve. Well, Grant, I want to ask you more questions about um, your company, but I want to take a step back because what we love on this show is entrepreneurs who are willing to share not only their success stories and their good business stories, but, you know, the bumps along the way. And, and I happen to know, as you said earlier, you know, this isn't your first rodeo as a company founder. And, and in fact, you shared that you had done your first startup at 19. So can you give us just that like three minute hit of what your journey as an entrepreneur has been, which I know is asking a lot in three minutes, but. I, I got the Ben Shapiro fast talk. So, you know, I can talk. <laughs> um, I've been blessed enough to have the parents that I have. And, you know, I was, uh, you know, they, they separated when I was young, but they both offered me two distinct things, right? So, you know, I've been bred in this kind of part entrepreneurial, part critical kind of thinking background. And I'm a creator originally. I'm, I'm actually still a musician. I still make music and you can listen to it online. So I view things from a creator end almost exclusively, but I, because of my background, you know, I have a thing towards understanding the systems that, you know, the creator has to depend on, right? So my original entry was through digital media and entertainment. I was focused on the distribution and monetization platforms for digital content. The Netflix is YouTube's of today, except this was 06 and 07. And I was focused exclusively on mobile. This is before the iPhone came out. So we were programming on Palm. It was the first touchscreen then that you could do anything with. And that was my first big lesson on timing, whereas... I was 100% right with the model, you know, integrated branded advertising. People thought I was crazy that they're going to be watching videos on their phone. They thought I was, <laughs> you know, right? only one of those people has ever come back to me and said I was right, actually. Um, but timing is more important than that, right? And I realized, oh, this was for five years later, right? And this is something I've applied to Copernic Space. Copernic Space as a concept, we started building it six years ago, right? But I understand. I, made those observations, understood those lessons. So that first startup failed, but not just because um, of timing. I wasn't mature enough. I wasn't disciplined enough. I had that youthful arrogance where I think, you know, I'm special just because I got a great idea and da, 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 da. Right. And it really, it, it humbles you, you know, and I really struggled after that. I'm from LA originally. I was in LA at the time. And, you know, the financial crisis hit then and I'm a 19 year old kid, no college education, but College really mattered back then. It doesn't really matter so much anymore, but it mattered then, you know, and, and I was stuck. I had to revamp everything. Right. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's the people who do succeed. And a lot of them don't, even if they do do this and have this qualities uh, is they don't give up. Like they, they just keep going at it. I know there's that old American saying, you know, fall down, pick yourself up again. But that's 100% true. It sounds cheesy, but that's what makes us uniquely successful as Americans because it definitely is an IQ. It, def it definitely isn't our worldly knowledge. It's more of these weird cultural literal factors. So I took that really hard, had a really struggle time with it. But then I got into blockchain very quickly early after that, 2012, 13-ish, because I saw it as a solution of what I was trying to solve in digital media. Um, I failed at two two more times after that with some ventures that I did with some, some media entities. 
And then I finally succeeded with, with CoinFirm, right? Um, and, you know, I take all these lessons and, you know, I'm not perfect. I still make sometimes the same mistakes. Um, but, you know, I'm taking that into Copernic space and, you know, taking it to the moon and further, hopefully. Let's talk about your team on um, Copernic space. Who are um, your, your, how have you, did you go about building that core team when you got started? Oh, wow. That's a long and continuous story. Um, so anybody who's been in the startup game really competitively is like talent and a, a talent acquisition is like outside of funding is the hardest thing is like the bane of the entrepreneur's existence. Uh, we take a very, you know, organic, almost family oriented approach in the beginning. So there's been quite a few people that have come and gone right over mm-hmm. the past year. Um, you know, we're a very unique company. I'm kind of a different sort of founder than most, you know, it's a place for people who believe and want to independently, you know, own in a certain sense what they do, right? So we're not really a company for me to micromanage you or task assign you. It's more of, hey, you know, you're in this position show us what you can do, show the world what you can do, right? Be, be ambitious about it. So I'm very, I challenge people a lot. I'm, I'm not the easiest guy. I'm very fair though. Uh, almost to a flaw I'm understanding. Um, so how I went about it, um, well, it started with my mother and I, so we're the foundation of all this, right? So, you know, I didn't have to recruit my mother. Um, but I like working obviously with people that I trust and I built. So, uh, our lead dev, uh, Philip, who's actually just flew in to, to work with me on the product right now, uh, he worked with me for years in CoinFirm, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm bringing out people that are almost like family. I trust. I know their work ethic. I know what they can do, right? There's another team member that, that is going to run our head of data that, that you know, is, is coming out of that company as well. Um, and the rest generally kind of builds naturally around. So Philip's dev team, our, our lead dev, uh, most of it are people that he knows personally, right? That we brought on and there's that trust factor in between there. My thing is, is within two, three weeks, if you're not hundred percent in and you're, you kind of got a negative attitude towards things or questioning things. And it's probably not going to work out. Like it's either you get it or you don't. We're for now we're that type of company. Within about a year or two years, what we're doing isn't going to be so abstract, and it's going to be like, oh, right. And it's the same thing. Like everyone wants to work in crypto now. Like that's a really hot space. It's really hot to get hard to get talent around it. Space is about to be the same thing. People forget that space is an economy, right? Which means every single type of person has to fit into it. So one of my communications outward is like. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. I barely got out of high school. I'm definitely not a rocket scientist, right? You don't have to be that type of person. It needs every, it needs a PR. It needs better PR people. That's for damn sure. It needs better <laughs> PR people, et cetera. So, you know, that's still something that's building. You know, I'm trying to onboard a chief operating officer for it, trying to onboard and bringing in a chief marketing officer right now, you know, to, to help us lead up to our, our commercial launches that are happening, you know, now soon. Yeah. Well, Grant, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I completely agree with you. I have um, an older daughter already in the workforce. I have two in high school and, you know, this, this, this stress about what to do in the future. And you're like, look, 
you know, what they can train you on today isn't what you need to be prepared for for the future. That's one thing I have learned in my career is that agility and adaptation kind of mindset are the ones that are going to take people in the future. I want to go back to, um, in our time that we've got left, um, to your company today. So I want to, if you're near computer, we're going to give you the website just so that you can go take a look and we'll give you information again at the end, but it is C-O-P-E-R-N-I-C space.com. And when we go there, um, it talks about commercialize space assets. It talks about acquire space assets and invest in space. So if I am like an everyday person, Tell me what I can do to connect into the mission of your company. What's in it for me? Well, we're even, so around the time this airs, we're actually going to be leading into, it might start by then, but leading into um, the first ever uh, sale of tokenized payload space. This is on Lunar Outpost's Lunar Rover that's going to the moon in Q4 2022. So what we've done is we've taken payload space, uh, tokenized it. You know, that's a term we can get into on, a, on a, another talk. It's actually in NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Okay. Um, and we're for the first time allowing the general public, so you, your, your kids, if they're over 18 and can pass KYC, um, to acquire uh, the first line of space assets. One thing we're doing at Copernic Space is we're taking the value of the space market from being viewed exclusively through scientific or technical utility, and we're assetizing it. We're moving it into its own asset class so that if you own payload space on Lunar Outpost Rover, you don't only own payload space symbolically, you own an asset that in our case, we make fractionalizable and resellable. Meaning, let's say I buy 10 grams of payload space on Lunar Outpost Rover. I get a non-fungible token, a unique digital token that Mm -hmm. represents my ownership and my rights of that payload space. But let's say the market sees that the value of the space, because it's a unique asset is rising. I can, let's say, chop off one gram and resell that as another unique NFT to someone else who wants to buy it, or I can sell the full thing if I want. So it's about, once again, putting ownership of space and the financing of space, as we discussed earlier, into the hands of the mass market. What they choose to do with that asset or how they treat it is, you know, up to them. You know, there's, you might, you know, your husband or whoever, since you love space, he might buy that for you and give it to you. as. Well, a Grant, gift. you'd have to find me one of those first. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to go into a personal level like that. But let's so say what that means, Grant, is I can invest in space and nobody can tell me no. <laughs> right. So this is, you know, of course, there's certain regulatory measures. KYC is, means know your client. Know your client. Right? Yep. So when you get on a platform and you have to show your ID, that's KYC, right? Because... For example, I can't allow, I can't have, Lunar Outpost can't sell assets to a Chinese company, for example, right? So I need to control that. But outside of that, it's a peer-to-peer system. And it is the first time ever that the general public globally, let alone in the United States, um, will be able to acquire what we call space assets and own a piece of space. And so are these Um, space assets in the payload space right now, is it all digital 
payload space? We're going to, there's a hundred grand minimum to use it functionally. So okay. there's be, so you can send something to the moon, right? But it's a hefty price tag though, <laughs> right? And our whole thing is to make the space economy accessible, right? Because once again, it's beneficial for both sides. So somehow though, I can see a bottle of Diet Coke making its way to the moon. <laughs> if you got anybody at Coca-Cola, tell them holler. I'll, I'll give them that <laughs> You'll send them a space for their, for their, for their bottle. I, I'm 100% serious. And another thing around us making the space economy more engageable and approachable is to show that it's not just hyper-technical and stuff that, hey, let's send you know, a Chanel purse to the moon. Right. Let's let's do something that people can emotionally, you know, they can it's it's symbiotic to what they value emotionally. Right. If you like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm a musician, you know, I'm in some talks with some major labels to send, you know, the first music in these sort of formats to, to the moon. Right. So uh, our thing is to not only service, once again, the space economy the way it is now, but bring the mass economy into the space economy because they both depend on each other and can benefit from each other. Well, Grant, there's so many more questions I could ask you, but we really try to stay loyal to our time for our listeners. So as we close out, can you tell people how they can find out more and, and how they can connect with you? Yeah, we're, uh, we also represent kind of this new era of space companies. We're open, we're approachable. Uh, you can find us across all your social medias at Copernic Space, um, just like was spelled out earlier. Uh, if you're interested in what we're doing, you want to become one of the first public owners of space assets, come on our website, sign up for our waiting list. We'll put you in our base. And as we lead up to, to this launches, you will get the information on how to do that. Right. And, and once again, we're trying to bring a we're tr kind of trying to bring e-commerce and, and almost like that Robin Hood effect to the space market so that engaging and acquiring uh, space products, services, assets, uh, investments eventually, because we didn't really get into the true investment side of, of mm -hmm. what our platform provide, um, that it's something that is almost as easy as buying a pair of Jordans on the eBay. Right. So we we're a facilitator. We don't own the assets. Uh, we don't dictate them. We just control the entry points, make sure that the companies and the assets are legitimate. And outside of that, it's a distributed peer to peer system. So look at us more in the eBay and the eBay sense uh, when it comes to that than than like Jordan actually selling his shoes. Right. So we, is it we similar to um, the facilitator for like. Airbnb or um, Travelocity. Um, Correct. Correct. And one thing I think you're going to see, you know, the blockchain economy is in its like 1998 phase right now mm -hmm. or 99 around that era. So what you're going to see is a reversion back. I know VCs have been all about the SaaS, you know, monthly recurring revenue model for the past 10 years or so. Yeah. But what you're going to see is a reversion back to the marketplace model, right? Which is our business model is transactional mainly, right? So we just automatically get a percentage of each, you know, transaction that's happening on the platform. And you're going to see a new emergence of marketplace type platforms that are built on top of uh, blockchain infrastructures. So tell us again, just really quick as we close out, um, the Lunar Rover, tell us about the Lunar Rover, um, who's launching it, when is it going to the moon, all of that good stuff. 
Yeah, so we're going to start uh, the public sale for the payload space uh, Q1, so January-ish, January time. So around the time I believe that, that people will be watching this. And the throughout that time, there will be a secondary market that's also open for this. So people who buy these, these NFTs, these space assets, will be able to trade them, chopping up, leading up to the launch. Uh, it's a Lunar Outposts map rover. So Lunar Outposts is a great company. You guys should look them up separately. Really, really great guys uh, with obviously, you know, some big balls and vision to, to be the first ever to do this with us. Um, so their rover launches with SpaceX uh, Q4 2022, right? And, you know, also look forward once that rover gets to the moon, we're going to allow the general market to acquire certain NFTs with licenses that allow them to, let's say, interact with the rover while it's on the moon. But that's just a sneak peek into some further stuff we're planning around that. Well, fantastic, Grant. Thank you so much. And and maybe you can come back and talk to us later, later in uh, 2022 and give us an update on how things are going. Time for you. I've enjoyed it. And, and thanks for, you know, helping us get our voice out there some more uh, to a new group of people that maybe might not have heard about what we're doing yet. Well, thank you. And to our listening audience, um, like Grant just said, if there is something that he shared in this interview that you think someone else needs to hear and learn about, please pass it along. Please go ahead and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. If there is a disruptive CEO that you think I need to speak to, send me a note at connect at allisonksummers.com. Until then, keep your eye on the future and always be disruptive. Thank you again, Grant. Thanks for having me once again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.